0: And uh, just, just want to forewarn you, this week, uh, Monday, I lost my voice completely. Uh, I didn't have one, also my wife and I were texting each other, uh, walking around the house. Uh, that's, I mean, that's literally how uh, empty my voice was. So it slowly came back over the week, so I'm going to try impossible not to get too excited in my sermon, uh, because that's when my voice escalates, and that is when it will sound like I'm hitting puberty, uh, because of where my voice is at. So I'm going to try to land somewhere safe uh, for you guys this morning, but uh, before we get going, I just wanted Anthony and, and Kira to uh, to come on up here, um, and uh, for those of you that, that don't know Anthony and Kira, there, there is uh, uh, much to say about them, and very sadly, they are moving uh, to the place where everyone is a Christian. Um, <laughs> North Carolina. Um, and uh, this will be their last Sunday. Uh, they'll be here Christmas Eve with us, but uh, they'll be moving all their stuff, packing up on December 27th and uh, heading down. I just just want to say a few words, though, about uh, this couple. Uh, Anthony and Kira were the first friends that my wife and I really had here. Um, and they were also the very first couple that acknowledged and even said, hey, we really feel like God's calling us to be a part of what he wants to do through this new church that he's moved you up here to plant. Uh, So there were the the four of us, the initial church, uh, just in conversation. And then they were with us at a home where we had about 18 of us, where we were just praying that God might just do whatever he wants uh, through this church before we even established ourselves in this hotel. And uh, I remember being there with them, with about 16 others, and you're not supposed to tear up, Kira, that is... okay, I'm going to look here. Um, so uh, we, we, we love them. Anthony, I remember, I have a memory of before we launched on Easter of last year, I remember we were in this hotel room for most of us for about seven hours, and Anthony was here for about 10 the Saturday before. I mean, all day. He was here two hours before everyone got here. He was an hour and a half here after everybody left, making sure everything was set up, everything was working right. Um, he single-handedly uh, has literally come in here every Sunday morning around 6.45 to help get everything going, to set up the sound, to roll stuff in, to get teams established. Um, God has used him in a mighty way in this season. And uh, that's what you learn, right, when, when, you, when you join churches, is sometimes God just gives you people for a season. Uh, sometimes from Some of you, you'll be here for a season, then God will call you elsewhere. Some of you, God will, will plant here, and you'll dig your roots deep uh, for a long period of time. But, but God saw it good for Anthony and Kira um, to be moving on. Uh, to the south. So we're going to miss them much. Uh, we are grateful for their labor. Um, these are two people that have a true sense of kingdom-mindedness with the way they spend their money, with the way that they operate in their family, with the way that they give their time to others. I know many of you in this room honestly are here because they reached out and they pursued you and entered into friendship with you. Uh, and some of you guys have been sharing that with me as well. So um, just wanted to, to honor them, pray for them. Uh, thank God for them, uh, that God gave this amazing couple to us for a season, and that God would continue to use them. I told Anthony, uh, he's still on call uh, every Sunday, so we've got a, a radio system worked out so that while you're down there, I can still say, hey, can you help us out with this, and we'll give you like a phone that shows uh, visual for you. And, and all this stuff runs off the iPad, so I said, you can still have the iPad in your in your church service down in North Carolina, right? And just, I can tell you, oh, turn up, Alex, a little bit, turn down, right? We can still... So uh, anyways, I just, uh, I just wanted you to know that we're grateful. Anthony served on our board uh, that we had to formulate to help get also greater health for this church, and he's been on the board for uh, almost a year now. Um, so we're just, uh, he's a, a good friend to me, a good friend to many of you, and I think it's a good thing when we feel the tearing away uh, because it means it's a good family. Uh, family doesn't like it when family moves away, uh, and so I know we're feeling that here at this church. It's a good thing. Um, I'd much rather them be like, praise God, get out of here. You know, I mean, that's don't want that. So uh, we're thankful that we're grieving um, over them leaving. Um, And just so you know, God is sanctifying me through this, honestly, in some some big ways. Uh, Just realizing the church doesn't depend on people. Uh, Jesus builds it. And uh, God replaces with new, and uh, he's good. So um, join me in just praying for them, and then we'll continue on in, in our service this morning. God, thank you so much for... Uh, Anthony and Kira, thank you for the gift that they are to your church. Uh, God, thank you for the ways you've used them uh, in this specific faith family, the ways that you've used them to encourage and to mold and shape many of us more into the image of the Son. Uh, God, we're thankful that, that they're faithful labors. We pray for um, a good, solid, gospel-centered community that they can uh, dig roots into in North Carolina where they can fellowship with community and love Jesus and uh, be ambassadors of reconciliation. Uh, God, we're thankful that you are sovereign over all things, that it's not a mistake or random that they are headed down there, um, that you've de- decided that that would be the place and time in which they would reside next. Um, we pray for fruit um, from their ministry. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you comfort them as there's a, a ton of emotions uh, in their minds and in their heads and in their hearts right now. Um, I pray they just know constantly how loved Uh, They are by us. And uh, God, this is such a great reminder of the truth of future glory, uh, that this is just a temporary see you later, that we will all be sharing heaven forever uh, for years on end. So we look forward to that. And um, just ask your blessing to go upon them uh, as they move. Thank you for the ways you've used them here uh, to help establish this new work. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Great, great. Um, Good, well, let's... um, (coughs) Let's go to the book of Jonah if you have your Bible. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna jump just so you know to, to Titus probably halfway through, but we're gonna pretty much stay in Jonah chapter four which we're going to wrap up uh, this, this series that we've been doing. Then we've got Christmas Eve on Wednesday and then a few things uh, coming into the new year. So um, here's what I wanted to do. If you're just kind of jumping into this thing or you don't know a whole lot about Jonah or you're like, wow, you're in chapter four and I kind of came late, let me just give you the quick summary of kind of what's been going on in this book. So what happened is, is this is specifically happening at a time where the nation of Israel was, was growing, its borders were enlarging, there was a lot of good stuff happening and there was a, a kingdom in a Assyria. Assyria was a really powerful nation. They were doing these kind of random attacks on Israel. They were a a growing enemy to the Israel people. And so what happened was, as that was happening, is this place in Nineveh, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, Uh, they became really strong. They became really fierce. They also became really brutal. They did horrific acts of violence. They dismembered people, decapitated people, skinned people, um, hung people upside down. There there were just evil, evil things going on. We compared them last week, honestly, to ISIS. Um, If you're really going to look at where they are, they're in the Middle East, and, and this was really a group just like that. So when we think, oh wow, this is new, this is something that's just forming now in our age, it's Evil and wickedness has always permeated society post-Genesis 3, okay? So this has always been going on. And so what we see is God calls a prophet, a man named Jonah, to go into that place, into that town, and tell these people to repent of their sin, okay? Not an exciting task, but the God of the universe tells him to do that. Jonah doesn't want to do that, right? He responds like most of us would. He runs, gets on a boat, heads out, and God pursues him. Right, God pursues the rebel, God goes after him, and then he sends a storm of mercy, not of wrath, they throw him overboard, God sends a fish to preserve his life, and then in the fish, Jonah realizes how sinful he is, how holy God is, how much he's in need of this grace. And then God, once he's done with that part of this series in Jonah, he has him vomited back out onto dry land. Jonah makes his trek into Nineveh. He's a guy who's experienced mercy, experienced grace. So he starts going into the city. He preaches repentance. The whole place repents I mean, this is like one of the greatest acts of divine grace, one of the greatest revivals in redemptive history that we saw where thousands and thousands of people, you know, just, just got on their hands and knees, put on sackcloth, sat in ashes, showing this humiliation, this repentance. We saw that even the king himself wants to get in on the repentance, that God levels even the highest of human hearts. And now what's amazing is we're going to see the response of Jonah to this amazing redemption that he witnessed and he was used by God for. And I don't think it's going to go like you think. And this is where you're going to continually be amazed by the grace of God, pursuing people who don't deserve it and don't merit it and are messed up. And have souls that are hardwired to sin and run against and away from God. And how he continues in his kindness to come after you. Uh, And here is what we see. Let's look at how Jonah responds to one of the greatest revivals of divine grace. Verse 1 of chapter 4 says this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. What? What? Okay, so, so let's, let's get on the same wavelength here. Is anyone else wondering, why is he angry? And, and why is he exceedingly displeased? Okay, because here's the thing. As I was reading, if we just stopped at chapter 3 and you were to write chapter 4, I wonder what you would write as to what you assume it would be. Here's what I would write. Jonah comes back joyfully, just like the most excited human on the planet. I mean, any missionary that goes out into a mission field and sees people repent, I mean, they can't wait to talk about it. So I'm sure he would have come back and said, hey, you should have seen this. I saw one of the most amazing acts in the history of my prophetic life. I saw an entire community, entire city of people, even the king himself, repent and turned to God, right, I mean, I mean, and he used me, look at me, I look like I'm, I'm all scaly, I was in a fish for like, you know, three days, and I smell, and I couldn't believe it didn't run from me, They actually embraced the message I gave, I mean, can't you, can't you picture that? I mean, total elation, like just elated over what God did, he acts the complete opposite, he responds the complete opposite as to how I would have assumed he would respond, because how many of us, right, listen, if you are a blood-bought citizen of the kingdom and you, you share your faith with, with one person, even if they totally reject you and spit on you, it's so funny, I get emails, hey man, I opened my mouth, right, like you're just excited you opened your mouth. Now, now, now when that person actually is, is converted and transformed into the image of, more into the image of God, when God actually regenerates their heart, I mean, that causes celebration. I mean, I can't tell you how many times one of the most exciting things for me to talk about is either when God has used me or when I hear of God using someone else to bring someone to faith in Christ, right? I mean, there's nothing more stirring in your heart. So what is going on here in Jonah? And I think he answers and tells us why in verse two. It says, then he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said to you when I was in my country? That is why I made haste to flee Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from Disaster. Okay, so here's what Jonah's doing. One, he's recalling the first time in the Bible that God declares his name and who he is. Exodus 34, when Moses goes up on the mountain and God comes to Moses and says these very words. He says, I'm a God who's gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. So, so here's what is doing. Jonah's saying, okay, I remember what you proclaimed to Moses in Exodus 34, I, I, and, I'm, and I'm furious because that's true. But like, like it makes me angry that, that you're actually showing kindness, showing love, showing grace to a people who are wicked and don't deserve it. Now, now you're gonna begin to uncover what's really going on inside of the heart of Jonah as you're seeing again how self-righteous he is. You're seeing how he's already forgotten the grace shown to him. Because here's what's amazing. In chapter two, right, when grace is extended to him in the belly of the fish, how does he respond? With gratitude. And when, when, when steadfast love is extended to the Ninevites, how does he respond? With anger. It infuriates him. Wait, wait, you, no, no. I deserve the grace, but not them. And you begin to see just the wickedness of his heart being... Just exposed here. God's just exposing his sin. And He's so angry, he wants to die again. What an odd guy. This guy, like, like five times you'll see, just wants to, he keeps saying, I just want to die. I just want to die. I just want to die. Here's what he says in verse three. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Here's what I think he's really saying. I don't think he's saying, I'd rather die because I realize how wrong my heart is in this. There's nothing that indicates that. I think he's saying, I would rather die than sinful, wicked men be forgiven. That's what I think he's saying. I think he is just exposing how unloving he is and how blind he is to the very grace that was shown to him in chapter two. And I think he's just forgetting this. And so, so here we see that he can't handle the magnitude of God's grace for a wicked city. He can't handle it. He doesn't like it. Now, at least he's honest about it, right? At least he's honest about it. So, so here, here, as I was reading through this, here's the question that kept coming up in my mind. What happened, right? Like, what happened? I mean, What happened to a guy who rebelled from God, saw God pursue him, experienced his grace where he should have been dead, God still preserved him, showed him how holy he was, showed him how deep the depths of his grace was in the belly of the fish, and now he comes back, he goes in to repent, and and now he's back at this place where he was in chapter one. Like, like what happened? I I mean, how is his heart still in that place? And I think Jonah is experiencing something that is all too familiar to you and I. And that's this, we forget that the Christian life is one of daily repentance. But like, cause, cause here's what happens for many of us, if you just put your life on a timeline, right, I don't know when it was for you, some of you maybe you don't even know Jesus, like Jesus, love God, know God, or you're just here exploring this whole thing, but for those of you that are in here who are Christians, who love Jesus, who remember when God saved you, I mean, think about this, most of us go, okay, well, yeah, I remember that time where God saved me, it was that moment that happened for me that the gospel just reached in and showed me how sinful I was, I saw how holy he was, I couldn't believe he would accept me, I can't believe he would buy me, I can't believe he would give his own righteousness to me on behalf of himself, I can't believe he would Absorb the wrath of God for me. I can't believe he would hang on the cross for me, have nails driven into his hands and feet for me, right? That, that That just blew your mind. Then what happens? You move on to better things. And so this gospel is something that just affects your past sin and isn't a present refuge for you. And it's definitely not a future celebration. And so you think that the grace that God shows you is just for this thing in the past this time when he wants you to make a decision i'm going no 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 no. no. the gospel's not just for your salvation it's for your sanctification it's for your continual growth and being conformed more to the image of the Son. like 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 you don't put that on the shelf and move on to better things there's nothing better to move on to like, like, like the grace that was shown to you is the same grace that saves you presently and in your future, not just in your past. And so here, as I'm looking at this, I'm going, man, I think that Jonah just totally forgot about the grace shown to him and just moved on to better things. And here's, here's also what, why I think this matters, is because we, we believe the Gospels like that, you don't understand why a besetting sin in your life remains there. And you can't seem to have any victory over it. And, and, and that's because you've moved on to better things that you think are better things. You think that the gospel was just to forgive you of your sin in the past and not sanctify you today, and save you from your sin today. And I think that's what happened to Jonah. I think Jonah just neglected the great grace that was shown him. And it's amazing that this is not just a moment where we believe and turn to Christ. This is something where we behold, we treasure, we repent daily, thanking him for the grace that he shows us right, right today. Like there's gonna be needed grace today for us as we walk out these doors and live with our families and go into our workshops and go into our vocations and do all of those things. You're gonna need grace today. Like it wasn't just needed 10 years ago for you or 20 years ago for you or last year for you or last week for you. Okay, that gospel is pouring out needed grace, saving grace on you every single day that you walk and live this life. And so, so, so here's, here's what, what's going on. I'm reading a book right now for the third time called The Mortification of Sin. Okay, just a real getting the Christmas spirit uh, type of book. And uh, I mean, it's just really heartwarming. It's by John Owen, and, and this guy basically writes this book. To get across this point, that, that in Christ, the believer is to war against their sin, not just yearly, but, but day to day. He basically, he says over and over, you hear this, you'll hear this thing said a lot from John Owen, it's, it's kill sin or sin will kill you. Right, so it's the idea, right, you read Colossians 3, you read these other parts of the Bible where you see this reality that we're called to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Right? We're supposed to put to death this residual effects of the fall. Does the gospel make us righteous before God in Christ? Absolutely. And, and it's that same very gospel of grace that enables us to walk in holiness. Right? And it's the same very grace that gets us to, to walk in the light. And so, so when we sit here and say, man, why am I struggling with sin? I hear that all the time. This, this sin, I can't get over it, I can't have victory. Here's what, what I think part of the problem is, is we schedule out victories for us. So, so, so here's what you do. You go, man, I'm gonna go two weeks not doing this sin. Hey, hear me. You do that, you set yourself up for failure. <laughs> here's what you need to do. Every morning, you wake up. Okay, I, I don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow or a week from now or two weeks from now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna declare unrelenting war on that sin today. Okay, you're forgiven for yesterday. Jesus' blood is, is, is over that, covers that, but man, when we wake up every day, it is a holding on to grace, holding on to the power of the Holy Spirit, saying, God, help me to be self-controlled, help me to walk in the light, help me to, to take all these thoughts captive, help me to walk in holiness, help me to be aware of the enemy and where he might attack me and lure me and tempt me. It's, it's every day. If you think that you can just wander for two weeks and try to you know, get your goal set, you're gonna set yourself up for failure because then what happens is you stumble and fall on day seven and you're a wreck. That's not the goal. The goal is not two weeks of you being pure because of you. The goal is you walking day to day, appealing to the great gospel of grace found in Jesus Christ to say, God, make me more holy today. One of, the, one of the prayers I try to pray every single morning is this, God, just give me one day of faithfulness. It's one of the sweetest prayers I love to pray almost every day, just, just one day. I know I messed up yesterday. I know I didn't hit the hit the mark yesterday. Jesus hit the mark for me. So I'm good but but just today. Give me self-control today. Give me give me greater love for people today. Give me greater patience today. Give me wise wiser wisdom today as I interact with people and shepherd people and protect me from myself today. Not not 3 weeks from now, not. Help me to guard my eyes today. Not help me not look lustfully for 3 weeks then I'm good. Now, you got more favor in the, you know, holy meter in heaven. No, I mean, you don't get a bigger mansion for that. It's just, I'm telling you, this will change your life. Because that's what we see in the scriptures. A daily walking, a daily putting to death of the deeds that remain in us. And so that's why I think we gotta treat our sin like, like cancer that goes into remission. Right, I mean, what happens when it goes into remission? You're keeping an eye, Right? Where's it going to sprout up? Where, where, where I'm going to see some, some evidence of it? And then you go back to the treatment, which is the gospel of grace. Oh man, Christ killed that on the cross for me. Man, I'm filled with his Holy Spirit so I can walk and I can overcome this besetting sin. He, wow, he, remind me, read the word where we see the gospel. He is better than this sin that I want to long for. Wow, he is eternally lasting, not temporary like this thing that is trying to destroy me and not bring life to me. That's how we should view this. So look at Titus 2 real quick. I want you to hold your spot. <clears throat> look over Titus 2. I, you probably won't find too many clear passages reflecting the very nature of the gospel, past, present, and future, in my opinion, than Titus 2 right here. <clears throat> and I'm not gonna explain this whole thing for you, but Titus 2, chap, chapter 2, verse 11. Here's what, what this says, and I think it plays into Jonah. Don't worry, we're gonna get back to Jonah, but I think this is really important to see. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, here is what he writes for the the what yeah let me hear it grace right amen okay good for the grace of god has appeared bringing salvation for all people okay so so what is the embodiment of grace who's appeared Jesus Christ, right? Okay, so Jesus Christ has appeared. He is our salvation. He is our sanctification. He is our holiness. He is our good defendant. He is our advocate. He is our access to God. He is, he is everything. We go on and on and on to celebrate who Jesus is. But it says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, doing what? Okay, you're, you're gonna see the past, right, in the beginning, okay? The, the grace of God has appeared to all men, bringing salvation to all people. Then, then you see the present. What does he do? He trains us to walk new. Then you see the future, right? Purifying a of, of people for his own possession, zealous for good works. He saves us to do good works. We don't do good works to get saved. Okay, you, don't, you don't do good things to add righteousness to you, no. He gives you his righteousness and then you go do because you're compelled by that grace shown you. You can't be the same. You're transformed. Okay, so here, here's what I want us to see. I want you to notice in verse 12 the word training, okay? That training, that, that word is the same word we get for pedagogy, which, which simply means to, like a teacher would tutor or train a student, or like a, a parent would tutor or train their child, okay? So there's this training that happens. There's this tutoring that happens. There's this, and, and here's what I want you to see. What is the subject of verse 11 that trains you? Grace. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us, tutoring you, teaching you how to not forget about it and walk and live a holy life and to kill sin in your life. So, so here we're seeing this idea that grace is the subject. Now don't miss this because this is, this is huge in our theology. What Paul is saying here in verse 12 is it's the same grace that saved you, that appeared to you, is the same grace that sustains you today and is the same grace that sanctifies you into greater holiness and is the same grace that will ultimately save you and carry you into future glory. Like, like, like that grace is doing that for you. It's the grace of Jesus Christ It's the unmerited work of Jesus. So so it's not you doing anything to earn any of this. It's you're shown this, you're given this. Now you're like, you're just compelled to go. That's why Paul says the love of Christ compels me. It's just this idea that this grace you've been shown affects everything. Your desires begin to line up with his. Grace is our teacher, so... Grace by its very nature doesn't cause you to see more of you. It causes you to see more of him. And Jonah's missing this. The grace in the belly of the fish that he was shown should have caused him to see more of the mercy and relentless pursuit of God on his behalf. And instead, it's causing him to see more of him and his own comfort and his own will and what he wants in his life and his will and not God's. And you're seeing this amazing, Reality here. So grace compels us to obey out of a right heart. So, so here's the thing. What changes is not obedience. Because here's what's amazing. Jonah went and still preached, right? It's not the obedience, it's the motivation for it. Okay, because listen, you can be the most obedient person on the planet and be motivated by the law, not grace. Right, the law can encourage you and force you to believe, but you're believing out of an area. Now, when you, when you obey by the law, when you do good things motivated by the law, that just breeds pride and self-sufficiency, okay? When you're motivated by grace, that breeds humility and worship, okay? So, so here's the difference. We're seeing that Jonah's motivated really by more of just doing, not really the grace that was shown to cause him to do, be humble and, and be worshipful. It's causing him to grow in pride and self-sufficiency, and arrogance. It is an amazing thing that we're, that we're seeing here. So, grace compels us because of what he's given us in Jesus. Okay, so going back to Jonah, what has Jonah forgotten? I think he's forgotten who his tutor was. I think he's forgotten grace, he, he's, he's, he's been forgetful of what happened in chapter 2. And he thought now he's good and he can just move on. And his heart is just crawling back to the very same place it was in chapter two. And he stopped beholding the marvelous grace that God showed him. And here's what's crazy. God's gonna keep being gracious. <laughs> I'd be furious, that's why I'm not God. But man, it, I mean, if, honestly, if Jonah's talking to me, I'm just gonna be like, boom, you're done. I mean, just incinerate him, you know what I mean? Like be great sometimes to have that power. Okay, so, 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 so here's, here's what we're seeing. Jonah's forgotten this undeserved grace that he was shown just days prior. So he's out in the sea. The storm's raging. He gets thrown overboard. God preserves his life, shows him grace, preserves him in the belly of the fish, and then he gets up, he's vomited on dry land, walks in, God, he, he goes and he preaches this message. The whole place repents, and here's what he thinks. Okay, I deserve the grace in chapter two. This whole city, they don't deserve it. Do you see how Jonah forgot that his selfishness was something that had to be put to death daily? you see how he forgot that that the residual effects of the fall don't just go away? Listen, it's bad theology that you can attain perfection here. We are called to grow progressively into the holiness and likeness of God, but you can only be perfect by him gifting you his righteousness, which is found in Jesus Christ alone. Now, in future glorification, we will be fully righteous in every sense of the word. Right now, we are positionally righteous. We have the righteousness of God within us, not in its fullness like in future glory. That's why we're in the already not yet phase. We're getting there, and God's going to complete the full work win, according to Philippians 1, on the day of Christ. So that's hopeful. He's going to continue to refine us and grow us more into his image. And so the Lord responds, demonstrating more grace. Look at verse 4. And the Lord says this to Jonah. Do you do well to be angry? It's more rhetorical and comical. But like, really, Jonah? You, you, really, this is the best time for you to be upset? I mean, don't you see that I, I spared your life? Don't you see that? I just used you to bring an entire city to repentance. You're gonna be angry right now because you think you deserve the grace and this city doesn't? Staggering, I mean, I mean, what would you have said if you were God? I know what I would have said. You wanna be dead? Great. <laughs> Boom. You know, he goes, just come, okay. But God just shows relenting grace. He's just talking with him. This is kind. Really, you're going to be angry? <laughs> Staggering grace on the part of God. And well, Jonah wants to see if this revival is real. And this is an interesting part of the story. And this this shows us more of his true heart and where he's forgotten the grace of God. Look at what happens in verse five. He wants to go outside and and and, and watch the city and take a seat. He wants to see if they if their repentance is real. He wants to wait forty days. Because remember, remember what, what God said, 40 days this place will be overthrown. So he wants to grab a seat outside the city and go, okay, hold on. I want, I want to see if they, don't, if they didn't really repent, if it's just a fluke thing, if it's just like a one-day event, and then I want to see God kill them all in 40 days. Look at what he says in verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. You guys notice that when you read Jonah? They don't share this when I was in Sunday school, right? It's all about how you survive a fish, right? This is is powerful. How did he get here? He forgot. And before you start throwing stones at Jonah, good self-examination, right? A lot of us would probably go outside the city walls of ISIS and want to see them utterly destroyed. And not want to believe that they get grace. But we love the grace that was given to us. We revel in that, we celebrate it, we're thankful. And here you see him go outside. Here's what he do. He's still skeptical. So he goes outside the city, makes this like makeshift booth. And he sits down on it. You can picture him, he's kind of sitting there, really hot. Middle East is really hot. You see him sitting there, and the shade doesn't quite cover him, so God extends more grace. Well, he's doing something so utterly wicked. Okay, so as he's waiting to see if this revival's really real, makes this makeshift shelter, it's not quite adequate for him. Look at what the Lord does for him in verse 6. Now, the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah. Another miracle, just like the fish, just like the revival. Okay, plants don't just miraculously sprout up all in a day and cover your head, Okay? When that happens, you call me. I want to come see it. So so here's what you see in verse 6. The Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head. He's giving him shade. What? I'm going, God incinerate him. You know, it's like, so gives him shade to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly, oh, now he's happy. Oh, now he's happy, right? Oh, good. I have a plant. Well, he waits to see if this whole city will perish. Look at this. But when dawn came up the next day, I love this, God's like just playing jokes on him. God sends a worm, attacks the plant so that it withers. And then when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that, it, so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. All right, again, odd guy. I mean, he just, it's better for me to die than to live. So God provides shade, grace. Then he sends a worm that comes, eats the plant, right? Then he's angry again, happy, mad, happy, mad, right? Repents. see God's grace, mad, happy, mad. You just see this, right, going on in Jonah's life, right? We can all identify with this, okay? And, he, and he, as he's doing all this, I think God, maybe God just had a little bit too much fun. Okay, now, now I'm just gonna, I'm gonna send some hot air, right? Just because just I'm gonna make you a little more miserable, okay? Because I just wanna watch your happy, glad, happy, sad, happy, glad, okay? I just wanna see, so he sends a scorching wind, and now, now Jonah's just irritated, his frustrations are rising, right? Now God's trying to teach him an object lesson. He's, try, he's trying to teach Jonah something. We're gonna, we're gonna see that here. But, but here's what, I want, I, want, I want you to see where his sin is taking him and where his neglect of the grace of God is taking him. He is at a place where he is so concerned about his comfort that, that he's basically saying, make me comfortable and send that city to hell. Let me just sit in that. I'm so self-absorbed. Just give me shade so that I can sit comfortably and watch a city die. Now you think that your neglect of the grace of God can't take you there. But oh yes, it can. Sin rots your soul. You let it sit, and you don't kill it with the grace of Jesus Christ the gospel of Jesus Christ, you'll find yourself in the same place, saying things you never thought you'd say, thinking things you never thought you'd think. I don't think Jonah meant to get here. And here we see him thinking and feeling in ways. Now if you're like me, you're going, what is God doing though? Why is he continuing to show grace though? I mean, even in him just keeping Jonah alive, he's still showing him grace and because that's what God's in the business of doing. Brothers and sisters, He's in the business of pursuing and showing grace to people who don't deserve it and don't merit it. That's what he's about. Blowing your mind with grace in your rebellion. I know you're not good. I know you can't fix you. I'm gonna keep wooing you by my grace. I love this. The Lord just hits replay again, verse nine. Do you do well to be angry with the plant? And Jonah said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. I'm mad about the plant. I'm mad about the worm. I'm mad about the heat. I'm furious. I'm irritated. Life's not working out for me like I wanted. I'm more concerned about my own comfort and what I have. Verse 10, and the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor. You didn't make it grow. It came into being in the night and perished in the night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the right hand from their left and also much cattle. Strangest ending to a book in the Bible. Okay, just so we know, no other book ends with cattle. Okay, and a question. Now, now God wants us to figure it out on our own. He wants you to examine your heart. Okay, he wants, he wants you to look in this story and go, okay, what's wrong with me? Not, not, not nailed Jonah. And there's a lot of different perspectives in the 120,000. I just take a straight read. Because even in the the Hebrew writing and language, there's no other word for for this word of people or persons. I take it just to mean children. You might disagree, that's fine. Here's the implication I see in the text. Because these are 120,000 children that don't know their right from their left. Here's what I think could be an implication, is God saying, I know you don't care about the adults in this city. Maybe you care about the children. And if you don't care about the children, maybe you care about the cows. Deep, pure irony. Like he's just stripping Jonah's soul bare, right? Just, just utterly stripping it bare and he's giving him this object lesson. Hey, 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 hey you. Hey, your priorities are totally screwed up. Wait, wait, you're having compassion on a plant that you did nothing to make it grow, you did nothing to help it or sustain it, you have no sovereign power over it, I took it away and you're upset, yet the people I made in my very image, the people who I caused to grow, you're not gonna have pity and compassion on them? Your your whole world is messed up. And here's what I think God is is saying to Jonah, which he's saying to all of us is, man, lift your eyes. Like, like get your eyes off of you. Like, like do, you, do you see what's going on around you? This, this is such a good, good word for us. I mean, we are all part of a much bigger story than you. But like, do you realize that this book from front to back is not about you? Like, you're not in here. Like, you're not gonna find your name. I find your name in the Hebrew or Greek or, or just someone else's name who took your name as a, as a thing to the story, but maybe you think that this book is primarily about Jonah. I don't think it's primarily about Jonah. I think Jonah is used as a spotlight to show you more about the character and nature and loving, relentless kindness and grace of God. Like, this story is primarily about God and his story. Like, we're not writing God's story for God, Okay? Like he wrote the story for us. He grafted you into it. He's letting you play a role in this grand story of redemption that is flowing from Genesis 1 to Revelation. He He's letting you participate in seeing him rescue and extend grace, not just to you, but to other souls. I mean, we're, we're all caught up in this. And so so he's going at Jonah going, man, you've lost sight of what I'm doing, the grace that was shown you, me calling you as an ambassador of reconciliation to go preach repentance to these people because all you care about is your will for your life and how comfortable you are and what you do and make much of you and you want everything to surround you. So all the orbiting planets in the universe are orbiting around you. You know who all the planets orbit around? God, not you. Maybe you think you're the center of the universe. I got great news for you. You're not. That's great news. That's not bad news. If you were the center of the universe, your life would deteriorate. You would grow and be bolstered in so much pride and so much self-sufficiency that you wouldn't see your need for God, the very one who breathed life into your lungs. And you would find yourself hiding under a plant, whining for shade. Totally uncaring for your neighbor totally unaware of the people that you rub shoulders with in your workplace, totally unconsiderate of the county that God has placed you in by his divine purposes right now to be a part of a much bigger story. See, this story is all about God. If you just look at it, God calls Jonah. Jonah doesn't like call himself. God calls Jonah. Jonah runs. God goes after Jonah. Jonah gets on a ship. God sends a storm. Jonah gets thrown overboard. God sends a fish. Jonah's dying. God preserves Jonah and the fish. Jonah repents. God spits him out. Jonah goes into the city. God enables people to repent and believe and worship him. Jonah's furious. God sends a plant. God sends a worm. God sends a scorching heat. God asks the questions. This story's about him. So, so, so here's what I want to lay before you. Especially with Christmas coming in. And this is so difficult, right? In Advent season. But, but God invaded this universe, this planet, right? To, to lift your eyes off of you to show that there's something much bigger and grander going on. Like, like maybe you are so stuck in a circumstance or experience where all you want is a plant to come up and give you shade. I'm saying, no, no, lift your eyes. Lift your eyes. Amen. See the story of God. Think about his grace to you. Do you not see his kindness to you, that you're, that you're alive, that you have family, that you might have a job or not have a job, or that you, that you are getting to see evidences of the grace, that, he, that he's put you in a faith family, that he's given you children, like, we are so self-absorbed. And he's just saying, lift your eyes. This, this week, just even reading this was so challenging. Because I, I complain a lot. I do. I do. Ask my wife. Right? I do. I just complain. And reading this going, man, God, you're so good. Now, hold on a second. See, see, the enemy loves to totally deter you from the story that God's writing. He wants you to just care about, okay, just try to make it through work, just try to make it through dinner, make it through day, just kind of stiff arm it, will, you know, will it out, just, just get going, just try to struggle along. God's going, man, I've supplied you grace, I'm doing something so much bigger. Find joy in that story. And, and here's what's awesome, secondary to God writing the story and seeing this being about God, you also see it about God in his gospel, right? God's the author, God's the sustainer, God's the sovereign one, he's one writing the story, and we rebel. And God goes after us in a rebellion. We deserve punishment and destruction. And if we repent and turn to him, he does not destroy us. He welcomes us into his kingdom. And the most staggering, amazing truth in here is that his relentless grace is not just limited to people who have it all figured out or all fixed up. His grace covers the most idolatrous, rebellious, wicked soul. Not just Nineveh, Jonah, See, see don't, don't miss that. You're, you're all thinking about Nineveh, how wicked they are. can't believe he showed grace. I can't believe he showed grace to Jonah. Because, because he doesn't have it all figured out still. He's still stumbling and falling along the way, and God keeps being gracious. That's all of us, right, brothers and sisters? I'm included in that. We just stumble and fall along the way, carried along by the grace of God. That's amazing. That's our tutor. That's what trains us. You know, maybe some of us have been living lives that that are so self-absorbed and and complaining and you can identify with Jonah. He's just saying, hey, lift your eyes for a minute. Doing some glorious stuff. Think about the souls around you. I mean, I I always say, even your worst day on planet Earth, your deepest need has been met in Christ and that's your sin being forgiven. Really, there's no need that we ever have to complain because that is the worst thing is being separated from a holy, righteous God and being unforgiven for our sin. If that need's been met, we can rejoice because Jesus came and Jesus walked and Jesus lived and Jesus died and Jesus rose. Here's the other thing I would say. Maybe some of you just needed to be comforted by the reality that you're not perfect and that's okay. It's not about you. He's your righteousness for you. Find real comfort in that. And we're seeing a picture of a man who didn't get it right and God still showed grace to a rebellious prophet. Maybe you find yourself just stumbling and falling and, and God uses imperfect, broken souls. He still wants to use you. The enemy would love to say, well, he's not gonna use you in your workplace or you because you do this or you do that. No, chase his grace. Dive into deeper waters of his grace and let God use you. I want to do something together as we, as we pray before we observe the Lord's Supper, um, which we do every Sunday just to, to focus on Jesus, that he's the hero of the story, that he's the writer of the story, that he's what we're all about, is, is that God would just cultivate in us a love for this city, a love for Bergen County, a love for the place you live in. Because if you don't love it, you can't be a good ambassador. If you don't love it, you're not going to lift your eyes off of you. You're not going to notice your neighbor. You're not going to notice the people around you. You're not going to find greater joy in serving something bigger than yourself. You're going to find more joy in trying to serve yourself. So I want us just to take a moment together. Just, just however God leads you to pray in your heart. I think I would just ask you to give yourself and us greater love for this place. God seems to be moving. He seems to be taking us into another location. He seems to be at work. And we know that God would love for a revival of divine grace in this entire city. He would love all of Bergen County. Wouldn't that be amazing? Using us broken souls, staggering, right? Maybe just take a minute and just ask him or maybe just confess maybe areas of your heart where God's invading that space that's just being exposed. Maybe it's just God lift my eyes to the bigger story that's going on that you are at work in my life that you're gracious, that you've given me much. God, what a humbling thought that you would consider us worthy. We're not worthy, but you consider us worthy of your time, of being saved, of you expending grace. God, give give us greater love for where we live. God, you have providentially and sovereignly placed this church here for such a season, generation, and time as this. God, we want to see many turn to Jesus Christ and find rest for their soul I want to see many saved from judgment many saved from the wrath of God many redeemed by your grace alone which is Jesus Christ who then trains us and teaches us how to live set apart lives so that we are a visible display of who you are to a watching world God help us to live lives that are daily concerned with our sin and not just week to week or year to year God, would your Holy Spirit give us victory today? God, would you comfort weary souls today? God, would you use this church that that have eyes that are above us, that see what you're doing, that are elated and overjoyed that you would call us into a eternal kingdom work? And God, as we celebrate you, as we sing to you, as we remember you as the centerpiece of all things for your body that was broken, your blood that was shed on the cross, that God, we'd examine our hearts. God, we'd be watchful. God, use us. God, I pray this Christmas season would lift our eyes. Lift our eyes. God, thank you for writing the story. Thank you for taking the pen out of our hand. Thank you for not really giving us any job in the story other than to participate and what an undeserved thing that is, in Jesus' name, amen.